0: How's everybody doing? How about this weather? I know. See, growing up where I grew up, we had seasons. They're called seasons. For those of you from California, it's not fire season and hot season, there's actually the seasons that happen. There's this stuff called snow that falls, it's incredible. And I woke up this morning and it was just that misty rain. I walked out after my time with the Lord, and let me tell you something, I love how creative God is. He's awesome. So, All right, well, here's what we're doing today. Um, for those of you that are here, um, that are new, glad to have you, really are. Um, we want you to be our guest. We want you to be a part of what we're doing, but one of the things you need to know as a guest, if you're going to call this your church home, we're passionate about the Bible. And so one of the things that we do is we try to teach the Bible, actually, since we're passionate about it. But with it, we would love for you to have a Bible. So if you need a Bible, uh, Greg is coming down. Um, and so you can just hold your hand up and he'd be happy to get you a Bible. If, if you don't have one, you can totally keep it. If you need one today just to use because you forgot yours, um, uh, you, can, you can totally uh, uh, grab one with that. But um, here's what we're doing. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians again. You probably wondered if we were going to get back into it. Some of you are wondering if we're ever going to get out of it. We will one day, I promise you. We'll, we'll move on to a different book. But if you got your Bibles, open them up to First Corinthians. We're going to be in First Corinthians uh, eleven, is, is where we're going to be. Now, just to kind of give us a running start, so that we, we have it. First Corinthians is a book, kind of with a few main areas. Just to to kind of get us thinking, this so we bring it into our our look at First Corinthians eleven. One of the things that Paul was concerned about was this idea that the church was was disjointed. It was, it, was, it was out of whack. Something was wrong with it. And the idea that he was trying to convey, and especially the way that Christian explained it today, is the church is not just an organization. It's people. So that when a church gets out of whack, it means people are out of whack. Which, if you're somebody that doesn't think you're out of whack, you're whacked. All of us, and I didn't mean to go that way, but there we go, All of us in this room in different ways, right, we're struggling to live a life that honors God, whether you know it or not. Now with it, one of the things then that Paul's trying to do is to help them understand how they're disjointed is the first thing he does in chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through 421, is the way that he confronts them is, is, is the way that they were using others to get their own means, You'll see this sometimes within the church. In other words, we'll say, well, John Piper said so and so, and John MacArthur said so and so, and Chuck Swindoll said so and so, and if you're really super spiritual, you like quote the Puritans or you quote, you know, maybe Spurgeon, the ones that don't know who that is, that's just the really spiritual people. That's what they do. (laughs) Forgetting the fact that all those people, and that's what Paul wants us to understand, we're all just a bunch of servants inside of God's household. That's all we are. This group of people is God's house, he calls it, God's field. It's, Paul says in there, we were bought with a price, we're no longer our own, that we belong to this group of people, and so therefore, we don't have to try to use people to get our ends, we just have to know God and his wisdom and his truth. That's what will guide us into how we're supposed to live. As we know God and the truth that's found in his word, that's why he has to say to him, don't go beyond what's written. Just know God. Understand God, love God, walk with God. Then he moves into this idea, though, that when a church kind of gets disjointed, this thing enters into them called sin. See, the other thing the church is supposed to be is we're supposed to be different from everyone else, not better, different. We're different because when we came to know Jesus Christ, our sins were forever abolished, nailed to the tree forever. And then, because of that, because now we're accepted in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us, Paul says, and we're made different people. We're to live in contrast to the world. We're to operate differently, think differently, work through things differently. Again, not because we're better, but because of what God has done in our lives. And so they had sin in their midst. The guy was sleeping with his stepmom. Other guys were going off to temples to have sex with prostitutes. They were taking one another to court. And Paul says, that's not who we are. We live differently than the world. There's a contrast to who we are in comparison to the world. Now, within it, then, some people, chapter 7, verses 1 through 40, they, they thought, okay, if sex is one of our big problems, then therefore, let's make a rule, no sex. Now, somebody should have raised their hand and said, excuse me, I've got, I got a question. See, that's what always happens also inside of churches, is that whenever we see that, then we swing to this other side, I know what we need to do, we need to make rules, and so then they were making rules in regards to married people, single people, divorced people, people that were remarried, and Paul has to bring them back to this truth, don't go beyond what's written, know God, love God, walk with God. Not only that, but in these rules and their freedom. They were trying to figure these things out. And Paul lands this amazing statement in 8.1 through 11.1 where the whole goal of humanity is to glorify God. Whether we eat or drink or sleep, no matter what we do, Paul's point is everything comes to this point where we don't make a name for ourselves because that's what the Corinthians were doing, seeking to make a name for themselves. Instead, he says, I want you to be what you were created to do. Make a name for God. And the way that you do that is use all this freedom that God has given in you to love people within the church but then also the other thing that he talks about is that while we're to be a contrast to the world we're also to go into a world that has so many great things about it and we're supposed to redeem them or make them better we're to become all things to all people that by all means we might save some if you're a follower of jesus christ in here today you have the greatest message ever The message that says we can know God, love God, walk with God because Jesus Christ paved the way. And so Paul wants these things to come out of our life. And the thing that he does in chapter 2, 6 through 16 is he helps us to understand that the only way that we're ever going to become like Christ, that's the goal, the only way we're ever going to be shaped into his image to truly become humanity as God intended is that we have to have the Holy Spirit. And once we have the Holy Spirit, he drops a monumental statement in verse 16 where he says, you now have the mind of Christ. Isn't that Crazy. Because of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our lives, we can think like Christ. We can walk like Christ, talk like Christ, act like Christ. We are not Christ. But because of the Spirit's work in our life, all these things He wants us to know, you can do this. Now here's where we're going to go today. In 11.2 through 16, He's going to talk about the relationship between men and women. Now let me just start off by saying this. Of all the topics I've talked about, and I'm even talking sex, and I'm talking drinking, and all the other things that I've, I've talked on, talking about masculinity and femininity and how men and women get along is where angels dare not tread and where fools go. So I might be a fool. Now here's why. As I look through this room, I see all kinds of incredible women that have been rescued out of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the son he loves. And there's a lot of women that have been greatly hurt by men. God never gave what He gave to men. To harm women, he gave it to men so that he they might come alongside of women and accentuate them, that make them graceful and beautiful as God intended. But men have tended to, and we're going to talk about why here in just a little bit. We've tended to take that and we've tended to hurt women. I'm talking to a lot of men out there because my last thing that I want to do when I talk about issues of masculinity is to have you think that I've arrived. Oh my goodness. Ask my wife. This masculinity thing is something that is difficult to walk through, to be handed off and to be said. What we're going to learn in a little bit to be the head is a massive responsibility with massive implications. And so when I tread into this, understand that it is something that, like I said, I'm probably more afraid to enter into that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start us off with a funny story. There was a language instructor, and what she was doing is she was explaining <coughs> excuse me, to her class how Latin and French and Spanish all have male and, and, and female to them in their nouns. They have these counterparts. <coughs> excuse me, but English doesn't have that. Things like, uh, I think she mentioned chalk and pencil. In other words, those all have like a, a feminine or a masculine to them, whereas in, 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 in uh, English, they're neutral. All of a sudden, puzzled, one of the the students raises their hand and says, so what's a computer, male or female? Teacher thought for a second. She said, you know what, why don't we break in? We'll put the men on this side, and we'll put the women on this side. And what you're going to do is you're going to come up with four reasons why you think it's male or female. Well, the women all got together, and they thought through it, and they decided that computers were masculine. They wrote down their four reasons, and here's one of the reasons they put down for the reason that that, that computers are masculine. Here it is. Number one, they store a lot of data, but are still clueless. (laughs) They're supposed to help you solve your problems, but half the time, they are the problem. (laughs) As soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd waited a little longer, you could have had a better model. Why are you laughing? (laughs) And in order to get anything out of them, you have to turn them on. The men, they decided though that that computers must be feminine. This is why they said they came up with the conclusion that no one but their creator understands their internal logic. (laughs) Let it sit. The native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. Even your smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later retrieval. <laughs> huh And as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. So that's... <coughs> Right? So there we go. I didn't come up with it, so. Now, here's the deal, though. The one thing that I hope you leave with today is that God has a massive heart for women and men. He died for you. Sent his son for you. And Paul's going to, in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to speak into something, and especially when you look down at verse 2, look down there with me. (coughs) He says this. He says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now let me just break it down real simple what he's saying. He's saying, I'm glad you've asked about this man-woman thing. That's all he's saying. I'm glad you've asked me about it. Because in it, what he's going to deal with, and it's not only was it at his time, but it's also at our time, isn't it so hard to understand what is a man and a woman? We live in a culture, our time, which is very androgynous. Everything is moving towards this thing in which there's no distinctions between the two, and in this reality, what Paul wants us to understand is, yes, that there is this beautiful equality to which God created them, but we're different It doesn't take a three-year-old long to realize they're different. God created us differently. He had a big plan in how he created us. He's concerned about how we interact. Paul writes multiple letters about couples and about singles and about engaged couples. He writes them about divorced people, people that haven't been married yet. Paul really cares about how the genders get along because how we as men and women get along tells our world a story about what we believe. We believe God's created us either to be men or to be women. In fact, for his time, you've got to understand, we'll look back on Paul, and a lot of times Paul thinks he's a misogynist or he's, a, he's just this masculine idiot that's trying to somehow tell women that they can find their place. But actually, when Paul was writing into their world, he would have been radical. At that time, women in some cases were merely looked at as maybe just a piece of the family like the children, maybe even not that high. And he speaks into it and elevates women back to the place in which God had ordained them as these beautiful partners inside of the garden. And even the way Jesus deals with women, he was so different in how he dealt with them. God cares about this. He knew the problems that would be in between the churches. He knew the problems that would happen in the marriage. He knew the problems that would happen between single men and women. He knew all these different things, and he writes into it, and in verse 2, that's what he's saying to them. I am so glad you asked. Now look down at verse 3. He's going to tell us now this idea that's going to be important to everything that we talk about. I'm going to spend six weeks on 11 through through 16. So buckle in. Verse 3, he says, The reason I'm glad you asked is I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now that word head is an interesting word to wrestle through. It's this Greek word kafale, which... Literally, the idea could either mean source, like the head of a river, the beginning of a river that everything feeds into. That's one way to look at it. I don't think that's what Paul's doing here in this particular case, because everything about this text is about this idea of who has authority and who has authorization, and and also, he's trying to create order and how they gather together. What does that look like? It would seem more probable that what he's saying is, is how something correctly lines underneath, comes underneath someone and lines up correctly. Now, automatically, I say that, and the first thing that happens in our world today is we're like, I ain't underline, I don't know nobody. But now watch what he does with this. He's going to take this idea in verse 3, and he's going to get these, these, compare two different groups for three different sections. One, he's going to grab Christ, and and it says every man. That just means all of mankind. He's going to grab men and women, and then he's going to grab the Father and the Son to compare this. He wants us to understand that there's an equality of sorts. Now, this is hard. and this first one, I want to make sure that you don't miss this. There's an equality to this. On one end, the thing you've got to understand about us that know Jesus is that we're actually adopted into the family of God. That's one of the key issues of Romans 8, Ephesians 1, is that all of you in here that know Jesus Christ, if you're a man or a woman, we are sons and daughters of the King. <laughs> Can I get a hello, right? We're kids of His Majesty. In fact, in it, it talks about in Romans 8 that we are heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. See what I mean? He's speaking to somewhat of an equality. Now, I'm going I'm to clarify this here in just a second. Don't get me wrong. But in it now, in the same way the son was able to cry out, Father, in Romans 8, it says we can now not only call Dad Father, we can call God Daddy. Not only that, but when you look at other texts, like in Romans chapter 8, later on, he's going to talk about this idea that we are called brothers of Christ. He was the firstborn among many brethren, it says. He calls us his brothers. And when you get to Hebrews 2.11, it even says that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, he just says this, I will be a father to you, speaking of God, and you all will be my sons and daughters. And one day, according to 1 John 3:2, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is." He's speaking to this idea first about this idea of somewhat of an equality. And let me clarify this now. We ain't Jesus. When it talks about Jesus, like in Colossians 1, it makes sure that we understand that he is the invisible image of God. Let me just read this to you. The firstborn of all creation, by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, And for him, he is before all things. In him, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's not us. In fact, in Ephesians 1, it says, He gave him his head over all things to the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Christ is the head of all mankind. But in some way, we share this beautiful family relationship with him that he calls us his brothers, and he's not ashamed to do it. When it comes to men and women, places like Genesis 127, there's an absolute equality to men and women. We all in here were created in in the image of God, male and female, it says he created them. When you get to Ephesians, (coughs) we find out, I am so sorry, I'm coughing so much. In Ephesians, we find out also the, 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 when he talks about the husband and wife, he speaks about them uniquely as these ones created both in the image of God. Galatians 3.28, he says there's neither female nor male, that there's something grander that's happening here. That even later on, when you get into 1 Peter 3:7, men and women both are heirs with Christ to the promises of God. But while there is this side of equality, we're different. You'll see this like in Ephesians 5.23 when he says, the husband is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. Even down in this text that we're looking at, the man is the head. Now if all I did is Paul stopped there and you just said, okay, so somehow my husband's like Jesus, he's not. And he throws in this last part. And the father is the head of the son. Do you think there's ever been a second in the existence of God where the Son didn't like the authority of the Father over him? See, to men and women, he wants us to understand that in some way, how we relate to one another, we can learn how to relate to one another by understanding how the Father and the Son relate to one another. Jesus Christ, fully God, in Hebrews 1, it talks about this idea that he is this one in whom, literally, he's the image bearer of God in a unique way to the world. But yet all throughout his ministry, he constantly said, I came to do the will of my father. And even in 1 Corinthians 15, we learn that the son can't wait to come back into the relationship it was before time began in this unique way. He just wants to live in and nourish underneath the headship of the father. That's the relationship that we're kind of talking about in here. That's what he wants us to get. Now, the way that I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna talk about dance because I'm an authority. All right? Now, here's why. When I was in high school, I won a talent competition dancing. We danced to New Edition, right? Candy Girl. Look it up. Good stuff. And we won. Now, the issue was whether or not it was all a bunch of basketball players dancing that we won or because we're just really good. Come on. Now, here's what I want to talk about with that. The headship that we're talking about, if you've ever watched dancing before, the job of the man is to be the what? The frame, right? And in the frame, the whole goal is is to make the woman look what? What? Beautiful. In fact, my wife and I sat down and I, I watched this movie, even though everything in me told me not to, called Dance With Me. If you're a husband and you want to earn points, watch it with your wife. <laughs> but one of the ways that she explained it is, is the man is the frame and the woman is the picture. In other words, what he's talking about is, is that there's a way in which this dance happens in which when men and women do it right, isn't it Beautiful. I'm not even a beauty guy, but you'll watch a waltz happen, man, and the man is sitting there doing all his thing, and the wife, woman's dress is just being beautiful and flowing, and I'm like, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Honey, let's go to Disneyland. <laughs> now, the point of that is, is I think when we understand this idea of headship, we have to go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to understand what happened. got your bibles go there and i'm just going to go through it real quickly to kind of help us understand so we can get our minds wrapped around what does it mean that the man is the head of the woman now from a dance perspective you got to understand god the father and god the son were fine there was a rhythm to who they were and they were existing in perfect unity alongside of the holy spirit and their triune nature everything was great But something out of their love spilled out, and they decided, we are going to create. It says in Colossians 1, the Son was a part of this. The Father was a part of this. In Genesis 1, we learned that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And God, in this moment, in the beginning, He created the world. And when He created the world, in day one, it says He spoke light into existence. Now, could you just imagine being there? It's all dark, and all of a sudden, God says, let there be light. Boof. It's this beautiful moment in which he established the whole rhythm of how his creation was going to happen. It says after light, he then, he separated the two so that you could discern between the two. On day two then, all of a sudden, it says he created an expanse, waters between waters. On this earth that we're on, he created this atmosphere whereby which he was going to create the dance floor of life and everything to take place. Everything was occurring in such a way now in which life could be maintained. It says then after that what he did is finally he took and he began to make land in the midst of the waters. And what came from that then that grew up all over the place were plants and they established themselves. Life began to begin new. The stars are in the atmosphere, it says, coming up in which they're singing to the glory of God. Everything was resonating and moving in a beautiful way. Perfectly, and sometimes I just want to know what was it like before any animals were we'll put on the earth, just to take the first breath of fresh air after God created. How nice would that be? After that, we find out that the sea and land begin to spring up with vegetation. Day four, He creates the sun and the moon as these two globes that were were moving in such a way that they could tell the difference between times and seasons and days and hours. And then suddenly into his creation came fish and sea creatures and birds. The first birds sprung on to existence. They began to chirp and sing the melody of God. All things are declaring who God is. Can you imagine being there the first time you hear a whale breach up or the song of a whale through the ocean? Everything's working in unison. It's perfect. Day six comes along. He creates into that moment all the land animals, whether we're talking about reptiles or mammals, whatever begin to spring up onto the earth. The first time ever you saw a hippopotamus or an elephant, everything was set in place, and the way I would just say it is the dance floor was set. And then we find that he said something special. Let us create man in our image. Let's put so we created them in his image male and female he created them and he unleashed them on this world to be able to enjoy all that the world had to offer to join him in his mission in which he had set out for them to steward the earth that he had given them everything was good but in Genesis 2 what we learn is kind of what happened when he created man It says he took in Genesis 2, and out of the earth it says he created the man, and the man came into existence. Everything around him was absolutely singing the praises and the glory of God. The rhythm of God was all over the place, and all of a sudden the man comes out of dirt just the way that God had designed him to come out. And the best way I can explain it is he got there, and God told him everything that was important for his mission. He was the head. He brought animals to him. He said, let's see if we can find a pair for you to be able to to hang out with. Can you imagine the first time God brought an elephant? He said, dance with the elephant. (laughs) Here's a hippo. How about the bear? No, thank you. How about the mouse? It's cute, but I can't dance. See, in this, he knew something wasn't right. The man was sitting there and God knew that he needed someone to come alongside of him to fulfill it. My mom took me once to a concert in which there was this guy and he was in the middle of a stage and the spotlight was on him and I kind of see something behind him. But he was singing this solo. He was a tenor and it was just beautiful the way he was singing. And it was kind of just humdrum and he was singing away. But then all of a sudden the choir joined in. And even right now I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. If you've ever been with something like that, it just explodes. And that's what happened when God said, Adam, I'm going to put you to sleep for a little while. He goes to sleep. It says God reached inside of him, pulled out a rib, and fashioned the woman. And he woke up, and he said, hello, what are you doing this weekend? I want to go on a date. He said, you... Are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And in a sign of headship, he said, I'm going to call you woman. The thing God was creating for him was a fit helper, it says. Adam was to be the head, but it's this one, when he says fit, it's this Greek word, or this Hebrew word, which literally what it means is to be just the right one for you. That's what Adam saw when he woke up. You are just the right one for me, you're perfect all those animals, you weren't it. And his idea being, you're intellectually my equal, you're emotionally my equal, you're spiritually my equal. Everything about you, but by naming her, he said, I understand you are my helper, you were the one fit just right to accomplish the task. That word helper, easier, it it, it comes from this idea, uh, sometimes it used in Exodus or Deuteronomy or Psalms of God. So in other words, it's not just a subservient term. The idea one is, is it says that he is perfect for our time of need. He's our help and our time of need. And when the woman came along, he said, oh, you're perfect. You're awesome. That's another thing I'd love to be there for. The first time Adam opened his eyes and said, there she is. Closest thing I can imagine is when I saw my wife on her wedding day. She came in there and I said, oh, there she is. And she said, that's all I get. (laughs) That's where it was. They were dancing, then it says. It was beautiful. They weren't stepping on each other's toes. Everything was in unison. All of the universe was proclaiming the glory of God. Everything was just right. In fact, God in chapter 1 says it's very good. Adam was the head, Eve was the helper, and everything was working. whenever we talk about what is the church supposed to become, we're supposed to become that. We're supposed to be these ones that men and women, I'm talking married, single, I don't care, that when we talk about headship, if it's inside of a marriage, the man gets this awesome opportunity to be the frame, to come alongside of his wife, not as a superior, not over her, but as one who is the head inside of the role that he plays and the wife steps into that and it's beautiful. I would have brought my wife up here but it would have been scary for us to dance. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 2, you can do this. Can you imagine what the church would be like if we just slid into what God has designed us to be? The church and the dance. But in Genesis 3, Satan asks to cut in. Taps Adam on the shoulder. I'd like to cut in now. Adam goes, okay, I'll be over here if you need me. He cuts in and begins to whisper in the ear of Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? He danced with her. He began to play with her. Did he really say you can't eat of that tree? To which she said, not only can we not eat of it, we can't touch it. something that God never said. And the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And the serpent responds back to her, you won't die. For the first time ever, in fact, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be these ones now. You will finally be able to live your fulfilling. And in it now, she looked at her husband who says, it says he was right there. And he handed him the fruit. They ate the fruit together. And everything came careening down. For the first time ever, all of humanity was sent off into absolute sin, chaos. In fact, it says they were ashamed. They look at themselves, and they saw themselves inside of a holy God. And it says they felt shame, and they did what anybody would do if they fall on the dance floor. They ran off the dance floor to try to hide from the shame of what happened. But God came back in and said, where are you? Don't you love that? Our God doesn't quit. Adam did the thing. He came to him first as the head. Adam, what happened? It's the woman you gave me, God. (laughs) Even in a different way, probably looking at the ground, I was deceived by the serpent. And from that moment, all of creation, according to Romans 8, 21 and 22, careened off into absolute chaos. Now, in it, we're going to find something that's very important. Look down at chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to learn something from this. In chapter 3, Genesis, verse 16, we find out now the consequences of this dance gone wrong. In verse 16, it says, To the woman... I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, which we obviously see today, and pain you shall bring forth children. But here's the key I want you to look at that we're going to focus on for the next five weeks. Your desire, he says, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now let me, let me clarify what that's saying there. Eve, now what's going to happen to you because you stepped outside of the headship of your husband, you are going to want to rule over your husband. You're going to want to climb to the top. He failed you, and in failing you, you can't trust him anymore, and so you need to grab control. You need to grab the bull by the horns. You need to be the one that makes all the decisions to decide what needs to happen. You're the one that needs to step into it. You and every woman that comes after you, you're going to struggle with this reality of wanting to gain control, to rule over. And what's interesting, though, what he says to the man, and it's kind of the way that it's played out, and it's not in this particular version, ESV, but the word is, and he will want to dominate you. Now watch this. Each one of them will be fighting for the top. Do we see it in history? From the moment of the fall, all of culture became patriarchal, didn't it? Men oppressing women, dominating them. Women seeking to connive and to cajole, to figure out how to figure out how to control the situation. All throughout history we see this, and by the way, it's happening if you're married, inside of your marriage right now. If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. Either men are pulling back going, okay, do whatever you want, fine. Or they're seeking to dominate. Wives, you're not floor mats in the least. You're partners. But one of the things that wives will seek to do is, again, it's just this fighting for the top. I will gain control. See, this is where the church is different. Jesus did not teach us leadership from the top. He taught us leadership from where? Our knees. He taught us that the greatest among you will be the what? Least. Least. While our world is fighting to get to the top, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, actually, we are fighting to get to the what? The bottom. See, this is what he means. Great leaders, what they do is they play their role and they're not afraid for the other people to look great. Those that follow don't care. They slide into it and they dance the dance. This is everything that he's building towards. He wants us to get what it means headship is, what the church should look like. He says it all comes from way back when and I'm trying to introduce to you what it was like in the garden. It was perfect. It was right. So what do we do with this? Let me speak first to the men. I'm going to spend two weeks talking to men in here and I would say, you men, please be here. The first thing to the men, it is time for men to be men. Gosh, I am sick of how feminized, men have become. And I don't mean we're going to go hunting and we're going to eat dirt and worms. and That's not what I'm talking about. Take my engine out, rebuild it. Manhood is owning the frame. We need men to step into that. You need to walk up to your wives. Those of you that are single need to care for those. Those of us that are elders and pastors in this room, our job as leaders is not to lord it over people, but to be this beautiful frame to our men, but also specifically to our women in such a way that when we dance with them, they look beautiful. They're able to be graceful. They're able to be what God intended them to be. In other words, men, sometimes people may not see you because their eyes are just so infatuated with the beauty because you provided the frame by which to dance with her in life. Men need to be men. The church needs to reclaim this. It's not that we're arrogant. It's that the Spirit gives us confidence. So many men in their 20s and 30s right now can't make a decision to save their life. Men... We've got to step into this role. Satan is out there and he's tapping you on your shoulder all the time saying, may I dance with your wife? May I dance with the women of your church? May I dance with your children? And the men have to start saying, no. This is our dance. This is what God's given to us. We'll spend two weeks talking about women So often inside of churches, and even Cornerstone has done this, is we kind of put women in these kind of lesser roles. In 1 Corinthians 11, did you know he's actually going to call women to prophesy and pray in front of the whole church? They're called to play significant roles within the church, to play them, not with, again, arrogance, not by, and you're going to see this, they were getting rid of their shawls. In the 60s, they burned their bras. Back in that day, they burned their shawls. But the idea being, you don't have to step outside of headship. You can step into that and you can be the woman that God's designed you to be. We have some brilliant, incredible women inside of this church. And if our church is ever going to do what God's called it to do, our women have to own femininity. And that's what we're going to talk about. We are going to fight with everything that we have within our provision of God to fight the curse that, God, that Satan has brought upon all of us and that humanity went into. Men, we're going to learn what it means to be a leader that doesn't dominate, but a leader that learns how to wash feet. Women, we're going to learn how to be followers that love to come underneath the headship and be able to do that, not in a way where you feel like a doormat, but instead you feel like Jesus in regards to the Father, that you're working alongside of him to accomplish the task. Single people, married people, all our people in here. It is time for the church to reclaim what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you zero checklists. If you come in the next few weeks going, I can't wait for the 10 things I need to do to be a man. Oh, is he going to have 10, 15, or maybe even 100 things to be a woman? That's not what we're going to do. You like my woman voice? That's the best I can do. That's not what we're going to do. Listen to me. The only way that we will be able to be the men and the women that God designed us to be, that he intended from the beginning in creation, is for us to be a people that learn to keep in step with the Spirit. What it means to let the Word of God, to not go past it, but to let it transform us. We're going to spend time, that's what it means to be biblically masculine, that's what it means to be feminine. You are not a man or a woman of God unless the Spirit of God has grabbed you and the Word of God is transforming you. Everything about it is going to flow out of that, and I'm excited. I can't wait to talk about what I believe us as a people, I think just the church in general, needs to reclaim. Sound good? All right. I'm going to bring the worship team up. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I know this wasn't an exactly come-to-Jesus talk, but listen to me. If you're a man or a woman in here, you will never be truly masculine or feminine unless God absolutely transforms you. The only way that we're ever transformed into what humanity was called to be is by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has covered the shame of humanity that knows him. If you don't know him today, I would love to talk with you about how you can have a relationship with him. Maybe some of you in here want to get baptized. Maybe you're realizing, you know what, I've said I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not. Today's the day. If you want to get baptized, it's already wet outside. You might as well get wet inside. Come and declare to everybody, whether you're a man or a woman, I want to follow Jesus Christ with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. To the rest of us this week, men, I know it ain't cool to say let's dance. But fellas, it's time we start to dance, huh? It's time we start to be able to be that frame that God's called us to be, to be able to be this dance for the world. And, women, I hope you loved the fact that I've just called your husband to dance. If he needs advice, I did win a competition. All right? All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Would you do the work of transforming us into the men and women of God? that you desire us to be. In your precious name, amen.